Hi, I'm Chris Waddell. Every week we do a Q&A with interesting and accomplished members of the adaptive community to find how they persevered, how they innovated, how they built communities, and how they found solutions. Welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast. Welcome to the One Revolution Name Tags Chat. Today, I am joined by Kevin Bramble. Kevin was on the US ski team with me, US Disabled Ski Team, now Adaptive Ski Team, gold medalist in Salt Lake City, in Torino, in the downhill. He is a downhiller. That was an idiot savant in some ways. Uh, he, knew, he knew a line that nobody else knew, world champion, uh, world champion downhiller as well. But he's also, like back in the day, you started building your own stuff. I mean, I remember you coming onto the scene and you had a three-wheeled wheelchair that you had built. Had you, did you always think that you were going to build your own stuff? Yeah, you know, I had, uh, when I was first paralyzed, you know, I had skied one season and I got back into town. Um, I was on a Grove, uh, you know, another manufacturer's product way back in the day. And uh, right off the bat, I did a local interview with a local newspaper girl, and she's like, you know, well, what do you, you know, where do you see yourself, you know, in five, ten years or whatever, you know? And I was like, well, I want to be a designer fabricator for uh, sports equipment, and I want to be the fastest guy in the world. So um, it was kind of self-fulfilling prophecy for the most part. Is you know, you just you know, pick pick your goals and and set towards them and and um, and go after it. How did how did you end up in a wheelchair? You were a snowboarder, right? Yeah, I had broken my, uh, with me and a couple of buddies were hiking out, out of bounds, um, back country around Heavenly, um, 1994, you know, impetuous 21 year old. And I went off of a cliff and I grabbed some rocks and got pitched over the falls and scorpion and broke my back. And, um, you know, it was 19 months in a body cast, you know, rehab and surgeries and, you know, you know, you know, the, you know, the ropes. That's the way that that one worked. Were, were you always into fabrication? Did you do that as a kid too? Yeah, you know, I'd always, you know, bicycles, you know, had bicycles all my life and, um, you know, was always building skate ramps and, you know, my dad was a plumber. So, you know, I, you know, I was always around, you know, trades work with my hands, um, you know, and always had, you know, dirt bikes and four wheelers and was always tinkering with those and taking them apart and refabbing them. And, you know, it's, you know, you know, a few of them turned into, into basket cases and had to be resurrected out of the backyard, but, uh. <laughs> But yeah, you know, it's, you know, you, you, you set it aside and you, you return to it a little while later and, you know, you forgot what you did or what you took it, how you took it apart or, but you, you know, that's the joy of sometimes doing it is to getting it back together and the reward of, of pulling it off and, and then getting to be able to go enjoy it again. So you started, you started skiing, you started mono skiing and, and, and so now you, you make mono skis, you have a skateboard, you have an off-road, a off-road, a downhill mountain bike. Is that what it is? effectively yeah it's it's a yeah i mean it's a, it's a little bit more than an electric assist i mean it's uh it's more full-blown electric powered um it's you know primarily it was made for downhill downhill you know right up the chair and bomb down but you know i raced downhill mountain bikes you know years ago me and johnny d and you know co-op back in the day and uh we were always looking to be able to speed up a little bit more coming out of the turn uh, we were kind of like fred flintstone in the tire like trying to go faster, you know, we would come into the turns like a hot idiot because we were trying to conserve all of our speed. Whereas like a little bit of acceleration out of the turn, get you right back up to speed really quick. Um, so originally my idea was to make it kind of row power. And then, uh, you know, and then, the, you know, lithium ion battery technology kind of 
took off lately, you know, and then the whole e-bike craze kind of hit. And I figured, well, why not make it, you know, electric powered, not electric assist, um, you know, and then, you know, and then, you know, more is always better. So, you know, I had to go with a bigger motor and a bigger battery and, you know, and now it's, now it's a bit ferocious. Now, now there's a systematic beefing up of all the other parts that can handle the amount of torque that this motor's put now. Do you have a spinometer on it? Because I saw you in a video, and and I'm I'm pretty sure you were you're breaking speed limits in a lot of places. Well, you're definitely on my street, but since it doesn't have a motor and make a bunch of noise, the waivers wave. I mean, the neighbors wave. <laughs> um, yeah, it does. Uh, it does forty, I guess, but it gets there in you know a few seconds. I mean, it's uh it's instant power. You know, electric electric power is instant torque. You know, there's no waiting for the motor to pull up, or I mean, it just takes right off. So what's so, so is there a philosophy behind this? I mean, watching you run downhill, I did give you the idiot savant moniker, but at the same time, I mean, you you had you had a sense of of line and and, and you're running something that was different than than everybody else. Do you have did you have a philosophy as an athlete, and is that something that carries over into what you're doing manufacturing wise? Well, that as well, but, you know, like in the downhill sense, you know, like, um, you know, I came from snowboarding, which is more about like the pure carve and always being on edge and never really giving up the tail, you know, and that's kind of how I rode downhill was, you know, I just, I refused to let the tail up and, you know, and, and find direction through any bit of skid. So, you know, so sometimes I'd be, you know, closing my eyes at the outside panel because, uh, you know, just terrified of, of not being in the right place at the right time. But as long as you didn't let up your tail, it tended up to be, even though I was traveling further and going a longer distance, you know, I was able to maintain my speed. Um, so, you know, that's kind of how the downhill, you know, my ideology and downhill went. But, you know, growing up as a kid, you know, I always had the biggest, fastest quad and, you know, tried to go the biggest and hardest on a skateboard. And, you know, so it's just, you know, I, I wasn't necessarily always the most athletically talented. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think, um, you know, the, the lack of fear of hitting the ground helped, helped me to, uh, you know, strive further and, and excel and, and achieve what I have, I guess. <laughs> there, was a, there was another term in there that I was going to use, but, um, you know. It's a I family show. Lack, <laughs> yeah. I thought the lack of hitting the ground was, uh, you know, better, better said than the, um, the other moniker that some, some use. So, but, but looking at that, is, is there a reason why you felt like you always wanted, why you always had to go bigger, go faster, or was it just something that just, you just wanted to? Uh, you know, I mean, not to get heavy, but, uh, you know, I had an older brother with, that was a charger and he liked to go big and, you know, and, you know, and he passed away when I was young. Um, so I would always heard stories from his buddies about how much he was, you know, a crazy man, man. So I just kind of wanted to emulate and, and you know, make him proud. So you were living up to the legend, to the ghost in some ways, you, right? You, you, some in, yep, you got it pretty much, yeah. Chasing and, the you know, ghost and, and, I, and I haven't been able to shake that ghost all these years later now, so. Really? Yeah. Yeah, that was, uh, that was almost 40 years ago, so. <laughs> wow. And, and the thing is, I mean, you are, you are getting to be, you said you're 48 years old or going to be 48 years old? I'll be 48 in September, yeah, in about a month, yep. Okay. And things haven't changed? any for you philosophy wise i have i've slowed down a little bit you know i, I uh you know i i don't take as many foolish and uncalculated risks as i used to 
Um, I would like to come to Ironman. I, I've been throwing around the idea of you know, maybe making a, another run at competitive skiing. Um, you know, so I've been talking to Jardine about it. You know, when I come out, I was going to come off the couch last winter, um, and then you know, and then the situation hit. Um, so you know, I think this winter, you know, and it's you know, it's it's good to be out there and promote my products and and be on the scene and, and travel around and take some demo skis out while I'm at the races. And and you know, it's I mean, it's you know, we're all in the same business kind of for the most part. So uh, you know, wherever I'm at, I'm going to be around people that that are doing what I love to do and build and and you know let them get a chance to go out and, and experience the joy that I've experienced from, uh, you know, riding, riding different fun things down the mountain. Why build your own stuff? Did you, you know, it, do you think you can do it better than anybody else? Is there something you're looking for that nobody's doing? What's the, what's the idea behind that? Well, so originally I had owned that my Grove sit ski and, uh, and I had a Grove downhill mountain bike and every day I rode it, I bent it or broke it. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to sell this thing and buy a TIG welder and a CAD program and start building my own bicycle. Well, then, you know, then I bought the welder and I had the CAD program and then my city broke and I was like, well, I think I could build something better anyway. And, you know, I'd like to think that, you know, I mean, I rode it to a couple Olympic gold medals, Paralympic gold medals. So I would like to think that I was successful in, in doing what I'd set out to do and is to build a better mousetrap. Um, you know, and then it's just, you know, and then it's just progressed from there. You know, I, you know, I, you know, I wanted this, so I built, you know, I wanted this for myself, you know, so then I would build it for myself. And then, you know, and then it would, you know, as a business, it was good business to try to, you know, have it be a production product that I could, you know, it, you know, pass on to others. And you maintained some of the, some of the engineering, some of the, some of the geometry, at least initially from the Grove, something that you'd, and, and part of that is a skiing preference too, right? Is, is that, this is the way that you're comfortable. You figured out the geometry that, that fits what you want to do skiing wise. Where did you, where did you make your jumps? What were the technological jumps? Was it in construction? Was it in shock? What, what, what did you try to do? What did you need to do? Well, originally, you know, the, the big leap from the Grove to, to the original KBG was, um, I, I made it a trapezoid, so I changed the, a bit of the suspension geometry. You know, I added some travel, and I made it kind of dump off um, so that the seat wasn't going parallel to the ground as the shock was compressing. It was the butt was kind of dumping off a little bit. So my butt was traveling more than my feet were. Um, so that way they kept my feet up so they weren't digging into the pal. They weren't, you know, I wasn't footing out on the steeper, you know, side, side, side angle of the slope. Um, so I think that was originally, you know, you know, and just beefier, stronger, you know, kind of overbuilt. Um, you know, I think that was originally kind of the design philosophy that I had back then, you know, as basically a budding kind of designer engineer guy, you know. Now, um, now, you know, my skis have come a long way from there. Now they're, they're weldless, anodized, you know, modern pivots and bearings and, and highly adjustable and um, lightweight, um, you know, a couple of different kinds of shock geometries and um, you know, now, so now I, I like to just bolt stuff together. I mean, the, the less, the less welding and bleeding and cutting and sawing I have to do, the better. So I'd rather have the machinist make the part and then I get pulled out of a box and I bolt, you know, I, I design it all from scratch and the computer, but it's nice to have the machinist make the part and I bolt it together. Um, you know, the, the shop work gets, uh, you know, as you get older, who wants to bleed? <laughs> Well, it begs the question, where, so where's the, where's the engineering experience coming from? Are you, 
are you a garage engineer? Have you gone back? Have you studied engineering? What are you, where, where do you get the, the knowledge that's allowing you to build this stuff? You know, um, yeah, I, I was always a math guy growing up in, in high school. You know, you know, I prided myself on taking, a, you know, the, taking math as far as I could go in high school, you know, pre-calc and all that stuff, um, algebra through trig, geometry, all, all that. And then, um, you know, and then when I got out of high school, I moved to Tahoe and my whole entire purpose of moving to California was to get into the California school system and go to school for free. And I wanted to become an engineer, you know, and then I broke my back and then I started sit skiing, you know, and then, um, so then I was living in Truckee and I was going down to UNR and TMCC and taking some classes and I was working towards an engineering degree, but basically the DVR department of vocational rehab was paying, paying my way. So they wanted me to take GE classes before I got into the engineering stuff you know, to get my feet wet and all that. And then Salt Lake hit, you know, and, and I, you know, and I kind of started to devote my time more to the skiing, you know, and then, you know, and then I started, you know, business picked up and I started doing well with that. And, and then the, the real, like the, the real savvy engineer part of it has all just come from, you know, painting over understanding and taking my time and, you know, and the numbers and, and figuring it all out for myself, you know, doing my research you know, doing your due diligence, you know, studying materials, studying bearing sizes and, and, and load capacities. And, and, you know, I mean, that's kind of the way that my brain works, but no, I don't, I don't have any necessarily formal engineering experience. I would like to think that over the years I've learned how to become an efficient engineer. Um, but no, not, not, not from any, you know, formal, formal training. Cool. Well, that's, that's an interesting, interesting way to approach it. Right. And it seems like, you know, looking at some of the, looking at some of what's happened in the industry, like, like, I mean, I race wheelchairs as well. And a couple of weeks ago, we had on a guy who, who started back in the seventies and looking at what those guys did, taking a hospital wheelchair and effectively like souping up a hospital wheelchair and sagging the upholstery so that they could sit a little bit lower and get their knees up a little bit higher. And then putting on new, new push rings and stuff like that. In a lot of ways, it's, it's the way that the, that a lot of these things have happened and and we don't have we don't have a huge market right i mean looking at, right. yeah. at you know i mean the adaptive sports there's not you know it's not like it's not going to compare with a uh, with a mountain bike market or a road bike market or motorcycle market or any of these things it's a smaller group and so we have to find ways to continue to push the envelope of what the of what the equipment can do because we have a sense i mean you had a sense of of what you wanted to do and do you feel like you've approached what you wanted to do or is there still you know are you coming are, are the graphs uh you know are the, are the graphs uh going are the lines going away as you get older you know trying to figure out is, is there still going to be that intersection of where the technology meets your ability to actually do what you want to do you know lately i've been throwing around the idea of you know, like you had said, the disabled market, it's just such a small niche market, maybe trying to think of something that applies to the masses. Um, you know, with that being said, you know, oh, the masses are also full of a bunch of idiots that, that are, that are going to do inappropriate stuff on something that I may build. So there's some liability there that I might not want to incur, but, um, you know, <laughs> so, um, you know what I mean? You know, like, you know, pe people are going to use it for unintended uses, um, which, which concerns me, you know what I mean? Like, um, 
So that that would be the one deterrent of doing something that does reach, you know, the global population. Um, is but are people going to do more on it than you? Are going to do it. I mean, we talked about this before we went on that you were you were the best crash test dummy that you could that you could have. <laughs> yeah, you know, like I, like you had said though, I'm I'm almost 48, so uh, I'm not going to go out there and do the reckless stuff like I used to when I was 21. So it's the 21 year old kids that are out there doing the reckless stuff, not the disabled kids, the able-bodied kids that are out there riding around on something that I build for able-bodied people. That concerns me. Okay, well, how do you, so, so where are you going with your stuff? What, what is, you know, do you have a favorite thing right now or is it just kind of whatever you're building? The bike by far. It's just, uh, you know, and, and the other gentleman that, 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 that has one, he, he's, you know, his hashtag is always permigrant. Um, you know, it's like he, every time, and everybody that's like, my nephew's written it, my brother's written it, you know, my, my friend Kate's written it. Um, you know, everybody that rides, it just comes back with a massive smile on their face um, because, you know, it's just so much fun. I mean, it's just, it's just unbelievably fun. What, what, what makes it so much fun? Well, I mean, it's just, you know, Honda and Suzuki and Yamaha, they all sell four-wheelers because they're a ton of fun. Well, this is a four-wheeler that's silent that you can ride around town. You know what I mean? I, I don't have the cops chasing me. You know, the neighbors are waving to me. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's that fun. It's that kind of fun, but you know, no one's chasing, no one's chasing you down. And it accelerates so much more quickly than those other four wheelers. And, you know, and it's, and it's, I mean, it's only 70, 80 pounds. I mean, like I can pick it up in my shop and move it around. And I mean, it's, you know, and there's not a gas cans and gas tanks and, and smells. And, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's basically a glorified four wheel bicycle. That's, you know, it's lightweight and very nimble and agile and, and, you know, it handles like it's on rails. And I mean, it's just, it's just a blast to ride. I mean, it's, it's incredibly stable. You can go out, you, you can, you know, you can, you know, I can mosey through town and, and, and take a ride at, in the evening. And, you know, I, you know, if I had a dog, I could go walk my dog. You know, that's what I always say is, you know, whereas like the other downhill bikes that existed in the past, basically, unless you had a chairlift, they were almost no fun to ride. Hold on, you, this dog's gonna have to be pretty fast if you're gonna walk the dog with it, though. Well, yeah, well, yeah, a greyhound. <laughs> greyhound, you might need a greyhound. <laughs> so, you also have a uh, a skateboard, and 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 I was looking at it, and I and and not to you know if, if you have a religion, it's going fast. And I watched this video that you posted on your skateboard and 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 i was concerned that you might have lost your religion because i saw this little move that you made in between these two trash cans and it looked surprisingly like a slalom move and i don't know what happened to you do, <laughs> do, do you feel like are you getting that much older that you are that you're now actually making turns well you know i i had i had originally put this surf skate truck on it so that i could go ride the park and um you know and, and it and it it goes, it gets the high speed wobble really, really fast. So I think I might pull that off and, and do away with the high speed wobble and the surf ski truck and just go back to the boosted board truck. So that way it can go fast. Um, because really all those turns are exhausting. You know, you know, I want the wind in my hair and I don't want to work for anything. So <laughs> I don't want to work at my turns. I, I, I want to promote the motor between the wheels, do the work. And there's a motor on that one too, on the skateboard. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, Dual, dual rear wheel drive, yeah, belt driven. Um, yeah, yeah, so basically I just adapted electric skateboard technology. I had had a single pivot frame, um, you know, I made for one of our other fellow competitors, you know, years ago. And then, you know, that design kind of just sat on the shelf. It was for snow skiing. 
Um, you know, and then I was like, oh, well, you know, I think that frame would actually work really well on a skateboard if my feet were just down on the board. Um, so then, you know, I kind of married that, that frame over to the skateboard and it's a blast. It's a ton of fun to ride. Um, you know, I'd ride it more if I didn't have a stone driveway. If I could just shoot out of the, shoot out of the yard on the skate, I'd probably ride it, you know, quite a bit more, but, you know, loading it up and taking it somewhere and, you know, digging it out of the car and, you know, it's just like skiing, you know what I mean? Like, I used to love to just leave my sit ski down at the base of the of the Funatel. You know, I could roll up to the hill and grab my ski, you know, right there and, and not have to drag it out of the car and get it to the snow and all, and all that mess. I mean, you know how it is. As we get older, that those little things, you know, the the tenacity and grit, some of those, some of those logistical things can kind of deter you because, you know, you just, you know, especially as you get better, like with skiing, as you get better, there's not as much of a, a reward for going out and doing it because you're not learning anymore. So unless it's a really great day, a pal day, all the struggle and turmoil to get up to the hill, it's like, for, you know, to just point around on the groomer, you know, you know. <laughs> you're going to do an e-assist for your, for your chair then to make it easier to get these things wherever you need to get them? Or, you know, is this, do you have to solve these problems all along the way? The, the wheelchair thing, I, I I used to have a suspended wheelchair. You know, my philosophy is keep your wheelchair as absolutely sim as simple as possible. Hence the three wheeler. It's just day to day moving it around, getting it in and out of the car, you know, loading it yourself. It having other people help you get it in and out of the car, you know, if need be. It's just way easier if it's as absolutely as simple as possible. Lowest back lowest backrest you can get away with. Narrowest seat. You know, I'm a fan of the three-wheeler because it just goes in between the two seats of the car so much easier. Um, you know, it, it cuts down on the bearings that I, that wear out and, and, and all, you know, I mean, it's just, and that's just my philosophy is keep it simple, stupid. I mean, especially when it comes to a wheelchair. Can we step back into the competition side? Do you have, I mean, you won, you won gold medals in downhill in both Salt Lake and Perino. Do you have, do you have a favorite, favorite downhill? Do you look back on anything and say, that's the one I nailed it. Well, yeah, definitely Torino. You know, I was uh, the night prior, you know, I, I was like, I, I mean, I've never been a huge fan of ski racing. You know, I, I much prefer ripping around on pal days with the boys, uh, you know, but you can't, you can't fill in the resume, you know, for the most part, especially in our niche little world of disabled athletics, especially back then. Um, unless you had, you know, the, the credentials and unless, unless you put the medals around your neck. Um, so the night prior to the Torino downhill, you know, I was like, ah, ski racing, you know, you know, this is, you know, chicken suit, you know, all that stuff. Um, you know, so then, you know, the next day was a pow day and I stopped around a bunch of pow laps prior to the race and I, and I raced into the, into the start gate and I went bombing down and I, and I just made a horrifically bad turn and I went by the coaches with my hands up, like, you know, I blew it. You know, I was talking to him as I'm going by, like, you know, it's it, it's over. I blew it. You know, so then I just like completely stood on it and ended up making like some horrific amount of time in like the last seven gates. And, you know, prior to that, on that course, I had never made those last seven gates because I had always come in too hot. So the only way that I was able to make those last seven gates was because I made a mistake and it slowed me down. Um, so, you know, to come, you know, mid course, because it all goes by so fast. But also sometimes it seems like slow motion. So mid-course, you know, after the mistake, I was like, oh, that's it. You know, I blew it. It's over. You know, there's no hopes of, of having, a, you know, winning or whatever. You know, so then I just stood on it, and, you know, and I just let it go. 
and, and when I came across the finish line, I turned around and I looked and I had won. So that one, you know, is set apart just because, you know, just because mid-course, I really thought that there was no possible way I was going to be able to win. Now, you also, before that race, because you, you guys had raced there the year before, and you told me that there was a spot that really caught your attention because this is you, you said the mentality of you're always going to go bigger. You're going to you're, you're going to throw it down more than anybody. But there was one jump where you came through and it was one of those jumps where all you see is just the valley below you. You don't know like you get that sense of I'm going to I'm going to fly for like a half a mile and land in the valley. And and you said that you said that caught your attention though. Is that something it did. that uh, I, you know, a, cu- a couple of times you know like especially in training I would come into that like air breaking like you know like riggers out like not trying to tuck off of it like would be my normal you know mentality back in the day is I would go into it like air breaking you know like you know sometimes you know believe it or not skiing smart is ne- it has never really been my forte but um, you know sometimes there's a. Uh, unnecessary risks that don't need to be taken um, because you can make up time in other places. So you decided to kind of scale it back a little bit, jumping off, going off that jump. Yeah. That that was, that's, that was the drop right after Aquaminarelli, which is where I had made the mistake on that, that day of the downhill in, in, in uh, Torino Paralympics. So I, I really didn't even have to concern myself about slowing down to go off that jump. Because I was I was crawling right there as it was anyway because I made the mistake right prior to that, so that that particular run I didn't have to worry about it. That and is then, funny. And then yeah. after that, I stood on it, and you know, and and there was a big like big right footer that uh, that that put you up a wall, and then there was like a couple more gates, and and typically all the runs prior to that, I don't think I ever made it through that section. Really? So this was kind of faded in some ways that. A higher force was getting in your way and preventing you from getting in your own way. Well, I, you know, I, I should have just been dragging a break all along and then maybe I would have finished more races. Hey, you know, I mean, it seems like it worked out. Okay. That's a great segue though, into, into the X games, right. As well, because the X games was right up your alley. I mean, for you, you were, you were one of the first guys to go big in the park. One of the first guys to, to actually do rails to like slide rails in your, in your mono ski and stuff like that, which I, I still, I'm like, I, I, there's no way I want to do that. That feels like it's going to end really super badly for me. It's but not pleasant sometimes. I, I would imagine it's not pleasant. <laughs> it gets you up a little bit higher and then stops you and get, you get that high side fall that you got when you were first learning. Uh, but right on a, your ribs. Oh yeah. From a higher, a higher point, which is even better. So so with the X Games, when did you first do the X Games, and and did you think, okay, now like this is for real, like this is who who I am? Well, so you know, for a lot of years prior to us going there and and doing the first you know sits career across event, I had been in the ears of you know some of our mutual friends that are you know higher ups in the ESPN world, um, you know, and and I just kept kept beating them up and beating them up year after year after year. Um, you know, when are we going to have monoskier cross? When are we going to have monoskier cross? You know, and then, uh, you know, and then finally well, it happened. Can, can you describe what monoskier cross is? Because there are a lot of people who might not know what this is. So, so monoskier cross is, uh, you know, skier cross or snowboard cross. Basically, it's a motocross course that's, you know, gravity driven. So it's a motocross course on snow downhill. You know, you're starting to start gate, four guys, six guys, 
you know, all elbow, elbow to elbow, rubbing, racing, you know, um, out of the circuit, just, you know, kind of Chinese downhill, you know, jumps, berms, turns, twists, you know, whoops, you know, basically a, a motocross course on snow. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Which sounds like it's completely up your alley. I mean, the idea of like, cause you started, you were a BMX guy as a kid and stuff yep, like that yeah, too, BMX, right? Dirt bikes, yeah. 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 Growing up. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was my first endeavor into the, this whole, you know, you know, adrenaline fueled, you know, sports career was, uh, was, you know, starting out BMX, you know, and then getting into skating and then, you know, four wheelers and then, you know, and then mountain biking prior to, right prior to my injury, um, you know, snowboarding, skiing. Um, yeah. And so the gate drops and four of you are on the course, four mono skiers are on the course. And, and for me looking at you, I think this is, this is absolutely made for you. This is perfect for you. Is that what you were thinking well, too? Well, yeah, until my ski broke or my binding broke or, <laughs> or uh, you know, oh, yeah. That, typically I think that's the way, or, or I look over my shoulder to see how far back somebody's behind me and I clip the gate. You know, I mean, it was just uh, one year after another, after another of some, you know, never my sit ski. My sit ski was never the problem. It was the snow ski or the binding. Um, you know, it's, you know, we're, you know, just going too big, you know, go, Which going might have too been, big. Yeah, there might have been a compliment, right? I mean, the, the, the ski can only handle so much. And yes. so tactically approaching the course and knowing where you're going to jump to and land nicely. Well, you know, there, you know, with, with, with that, it's kind of like motocross in the same sense is um, basically either go big or don't go, you know? So like, you don't, you don't want to, either you want to, single the jumps and and you know you don't want to you don't want to come up short when the jumps are that big so really it's like you know you got to go as big as you possibly can to make the training of the landing or else you're going to break something you know and in the way that the courses were designed they were typically designed more for skiers mm -hmm. able-bodied skiers so as the course progressed down the hill the jumps got a little bit further and further and further apart um you know where the skiers can pop the, the lip um, or or pre press it and then pop it. Whereas us, we're just committed. We're just basically committed to to whatever trajectory we take. Yeah. And you know, and as and as the distances get further, as the speeds increase down the hill, sometimes it just wasn't physically possible for us to make the doubles. You know, make make the next training, and that cost me. You know, quite quite a few quite a few years. Um, you know, pain and punishment and and, and bleeding spleens and, and trips to the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the coolest things about it was, I mean, the coolest thing about the X Games in in the monoskier sense was that it was the same course for the skiers, for the snowboarders. And, and in some ways, it wasn't the exact same course, but like the snowmobiles were doing something really very similar yeah, as well yeah. on a separate course. But but it was a it was a cool environment because because everybody's just it's it's not necessarily like you're a separate sport. That was the first time when I when I watched that and when and I you know I grabbed the microphone and I talked about you guys doing it because I was never good in the air. That was not I, I like to turn. That was the air was not a good thing for me. So the microphone seemed like a better idea. But but watching it, that was the cool part was that there there was no sense of any difference 
as an athlete, it just happened to be that you were using a different vehicle. I never saw any of the skiers come and jump into the monoski, which I wouldn't put it past some of those guys. They might have uh, they might have thought about it. There, there are a few of the guys who'd be like, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. Like, let's get in and race. Let's, uh, let's figure it out. But that to me was was one of the cool parts. And, and I'd imagine as an athlete, one of the cool parts. But some of the differences, I thought the, the hardest part of the course, and tell me if I'm wrong on this, was actually the whoop-de-doos yeah, for you yep. guys and, yes. and a monoski because you couldn't press anything, right? You, can, I mean, you can't press it. You can't press and then you, you or, or press and pop, you know, like, you know, to press one and then pop, pop it so that you're doubling it, you know what I mean? So the press, press, pop, pop, press, you know what I mean? So like single doubles, double, single, you know what I mean? Like we're just like basically, you know, maybe the first one you can kind of get a little bit of a press going into it. But then, but then as soon as you start to get light on the next one, the next one, then you just start skipping off the tops, you know, and that's where, you know, that I bobbled a couple of times in the whoops, you know, and it cost me the very last uh, X games that I was in. That's what cost me the gold was, you know, I got, I got loose in the whoops and ended up kind of off the course and had to get myself back on course. And, you know, the a European competitor came along and ended up passing me right there at that moment. And I just couldn't catch him, couldn't, couldn't catch him after that. And the whoop de doos are, what is it? It's, it's like 10 sort of similar kind of, you know, symmetrical kind of, kind of, uh, kind of jumps or bumps. But, but what happens with the skiers is they can, they can go and suck these things up. They have a little bit more travel with their legs so they can keep their skis on the ground or they can pop and go, go to the backside of, of another one. Whereas in a monoski, you only have so much travel. So once you once you maximize that travel, you're you're in the air and you're not necessarily flying far enough to land on the backside, which when you look at the course, you know, as, as an able-bodied person, they look at the course and they're not necessarily looking at the whoops as a as a major problem. It's just sort of a different element. Whereas for the monoskis, they, they decide whether they want to press them all or do like a press, press pop, you know, like where, you know, like one year we did have an X Games where they were just about the right distance where we could actually double it. You know, like we could jump the one and then and then get not, you know, not just be jumping the single, but we could we could be doubling and landing on the back of the next one. You know what I mean? And then and then jump the next one and land on the back of the next one. Um, but that is a very specific like gait, you know, like um, you know, cadence to to the to the rhythm section. Um, you know, and and basically that's not you know, the courses were never actually necessarily made for us monoskiers. Whereas if we were to have a monoski specific kind of skier cross, we could approach the course designers um, to, to make the whoop section more of like a rhythm section where we're doubling, 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 you know, maybe have like, you know, eight jumps, but we're doubling all of them rather than skipping and, you know, skipping off the one and, and casing the face of the next one you know, kind of like the way that we would do it at X Games because it wasn't really, you know, designed for us. It didn't fit. It didn't fit the yeah, right. the, the capabilities of of the thing, you know, and that's, but you've seen now, so in Sochi, the snowboarders actually got into border cross. So these are the amputees, the able-bodied snowboarder, or not the able-bodied, but the amputee snowboarders in the Paralympics got a parallel slalom, and then, and then they also got a got a border cross. And you were saying that that you'd love to see the ex the the, the mono skis get into that as well. I I think so. I mean, you know, we were kind of the you know the granddaddies of of you know the adaptive mono you know adaptive ski across mono ski across. Um, you know, we we had been doing it. You know, you know what, 
13 years with a couple years in between that they didn't have it. But so, you know, 15 years we did it. Um, you know, I would, yeah, I, I think, I think the Paralympics could use, um, more, you know, especially kind of, it's kind of spectator worthy. I mean, there's, there's some carnage and, you know, I mean, it's, um, you know, it's fun to watch. I mean, you know, cause the, because typically the races are close and, and you got a couple of people on course at the same time. And, you know, it's, it's very spectator friendly. Um, you know, you could have a big finish line jump and, you know, a lot of times it's one right there, one or lost right there. You know, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I think it would be good for the sport. What's the anxiety like with this? I mean, there I've watched this from a bottom and you're talking about that last jump and the, the last jump is, is a big jump. I mean, you're, you're what you're 20 feet off the ground more yes, 30 feet 60 off the ground foot, 60 foot table yeah something like that 60 yeah foot and you're flying travel. you're flying 60 80 feet to get to the downside of this and there's so many of the of the monoskier cross or monoskier x that finished where it's a matter of how quickly you're tumbling after yeah, you've fallen oh, yeah. and lost your ski which which happens in able-bodied skier cross happens in border cross as well. I mean, it's the finish line is, is the finish line and it doesn't matter how you get across it, but you're playing for keeps then you're playing for keeps and you're, and you're taking chances that you wouldn't take otherwise because somebody's on your right side, somebody's on your left side and you think, okay, well, this is, this is my only choice. I've just got to hit this and hit it hard and hope for the best. What's the, What's the anxiety like? Are you thinking, you know, I mean, like as you're approaching the games, as you're approaching the start, what what are you feeling? What's going through your mind? I tell you, the the most anxiety that I would have is um, when you know, because because it wasn't necessarily really designed. The course wasn't designed or developed for us monoskiers, you know, and and I was kind of in the position to, you know, maybe try to lend some expertise um, to to some of the higher ups that make the decisions. What gave me anxiety was the jumps, not being too big, but just not maybe monoski friendly. And we would either go too far, too long, or we'd come up too short. And I would hear a noise in my head, like you land so hard and you bottom your shock so much that you hear this doing in your head. And basically I asked the doctors like, you know, I, when I land really hard and I can rest my shot and you know, he's like, yeah, you're, you're knocking your skull against the side of, you're knocking your brain against the side of your skull. Basically it's a concussion. Sure. You might be skiing out of it, but it's not healthy. So what would give me anxiety was, you know, you know, ended up ending up punch drunk over the years because of me, you know, knocking myself silly too many times, you know, all for the, you know, as I got older, maybe doing it for the glory lost its thrill. And then it was more about, you know, trying to have it be calculated and more precise and, um, you know, not just throw myself off of something because I wanted to, or somebody asked me to, or there was prize money. Exactly. <laughs> Did your image of yourself in some ways and the image that you portrayed to others of going bigger than other people, did that, did that make it more difficult for you to approach the X games in, in a, in a more calculated way? People expected well, you know, certain things from you. You know, I, I just always thought, you know, that I had, a, you know, a good shot of, of doing well. Um, you know, X Games, I mean, originally it was like, okay, it's my race to lose. Well, then after the year, after year, after year, after year, after year um, of, of the carnage and, and, you know, it'll be, like, it'll be like, well, this is your year. Well, no, it wasn't. 
So, you know, so then it just became a, a running joke. Like, you know, like, sure, yeah, but we know what's going to happen. So, <laughs> so, so then the pressure, so then that kind of relieved the pressure because then it was just like, ah, well, we already know what's going to happen. So then I was just there to have fun and, and see my friends and, and have a good time and, and enjoy the enjoy the week of the X Games. Whereas like at the Paralympic level, you know, like, you know, you know, I was consistently going into the next downhill as the odds on favorite. So there was a lot more pressure, you know what I mean? Like or that I would put on myself. Not not that you know anybody else ever put any pressure on me, you know. Um, but but you know, I, I expected myself, you know, I expected myself to win. You know, I mean I, I wasn't there for any other reason than to win. It wasn't about, you know, the camaraderie, you know, unfortunately, you know, whereas now if I were to go back or, or if I were to do it again, I would maybe take a bit more of that in, you know, the enjoy the games and the camaraderie and the teammates and going to other events and seeing other sports played. And whereas back then I had one, one focus and one focus only, and that was to get out of my way. I'm here to win. And, uh, and, and that was it. So now, you know, I, now, you know, at, you know, as I've gotten older and more washed up, you know, that, that, uh, you know, <laughs> that, um, and, and to win and to win the downhill. Right. I mean, it was just, you yes. were really looking at one event. That was the, that's it. You got it. All my eggs in one basket. You can't say you're the fastest guy in the world if you win the slalom. So, you know, no, you can't. So. No, 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 no. I, Hey, I, 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 I know it well because uh, I preceded you. I, you, you, you've won some downhills in your day. I did. I did. In, in Lillehammer, I actually was the fastest raw time in the downhill. So, so I've, I've said from then on, you know, that I was, I was the fastest monoskier in the world. And it was, it was true on that day. I was the fastest monoskier. So that's the way it works. So, um, so, so what's, What's next? I mean, you're talking about coming back. You're talking about coming back potentially into, into skiing. What, why come back? Do you feel like you've, do you feel like you've missed something you're talking about? You missed some of the camaraderie. You might not have enjoyed the games as much. Do you feel like it owes you anything or. Oh, no, I, I don't think it owes me anything. I just, you know, it, it would just, uh, you know, I'm back living in South Jersey and, uh, during the winter, it's it's a small little resort beach town, and there's not much going on in the dead of winter, um, you know. So it would just get me it would get me out on the road, and um, you know, I could I could promote my products and and just go out and have a good time and see a lot of old friends and and you know and and meet some new ones and um, you know go back to travel in the world and and you know experiencing other cultures and countries and uh, just going out and having a good time, getting out of South Jersey for the winter. Getting out of that seems like a that seems like a good choice. That's what a lot of us do. <laughs> a lot of you around here get out of South Jersey for the winter. Seems like a good idea. I tried the Florida thing that didn't pan out, so uh, so I'd rather go back to the mountains. Go back to the mountains, or, or, you... or really south of the border, go surf somewhere for the winter, something like that. Go surf. Have knows. you done some surfing too? And do you I've, have... done, I've done a lot of surfing over the years. I don't surf as much as I used to. You know, there again, it, it you know when you're young and you know you don't want to let anything stand in your way. So, you know, dumping my surfboard in the water and then parking my truck and then leaving my wheelchair and I come back and it's floating because of the tide. And, you know, it, nowadays I'll surf when I'm allowed to drive onto the beach and I can pull my surfboard out and go get water. Um, but, but over the hills and through the woods, um, it, it's, it's just too much sometimes. Around here, we're allowed to get, we're allowed to get beach permits. So September 15th, we're allowed to drive on the beach. And typically, that's when the surf's the best anyway. So I think this year, I'll, I'll end up surfing a bit more this year than I have in the years past. I've always had a boat. 
So this year is the first year I don't have a boat. So, um, you know, summer, you know, September around here is the local summer. You know, everybody, everybody kind of leaves and that's when the weather's the nicest. So I, you know, in the past, I would just more or less enjoy, you know, the boating season. Um, but this year I, I decided not to put a boat in the water. So, uh, so I think I'll, I'll go back to surfing a bit more. How do you surf? I ride a wave ski. It's a, it's a sit on top surfboard. It's, you know, and I, back when I was six years old, um, the guy that owned the local, but, but, but the local bike shop, um, you know, that I raced BMX for, um, he, he had a wave ski and no one knew what one, everybody got, never, no one knew what, no one knew what one was. Um, you know, and so I had surfed with him and, and, you know, and always saw him in the water on that, you know? And so then when I was, when I was first paralyzed, I was like, you know, I, I want to get a wave ski like Bruce was riding back in the day. Um, so, you know, so I ended up buying one. It's, it was an able body product. They were very popular in like Australia, South Africa. Um, you know, people around the world, able body people have been wave skiing for a really long time. It's just, it, it never got hot in the U S and now it, as it turns out, you know, the disabled community has recognized the value of the wave ski, you know, it's kind of exploded in the last few years. Um, but yet I've owned, I've owned a wave ski for 20 years now or something like that. And is that. this with a paddle or? Yeah, kayak paddle. Yeah, it, it, kayak it's a kayak, sit on top kayak, but it's fiberglass. So it doesn't take on any water. Um, you don't have to worry about bailing it. You know, it's, it's not even self bailing. It's just, it's basically a surfboard um, with a bit more rocker and a, and a seat well in it and with, with little right. feet wells. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. So you're not, you're not so high up on it um, where it's tippy. And, and so, I mean, I, I'd, I'd love to do it. it. It's it's on my list of things that I want to, that I want to do. You know, so, I mean, no, you know, me knowing you for a long time and, you know, and, and, and understanding your disability, um, you know, you, you would need a backrest. Like I don't ride it with any backrest. You would need, so then, you know, with that being said, with a backrest climbing back onto it, you know, More poses a problem because then you got a backrest that's in your way to be able to, you know, cause you're going to fall off of it. Like I, I don't even roll it. Basically, you know, if, if I get if I get tossed off of it, basically I flip it back over and climb back on and and uh, you know and paddle away. Um, so you know that would be my that would be my biggest concern for you um, was well, you would need some sort of backrest and then and then once you have to climb back onto it, how much is that backrest in your way? Exactly. Yeah. And and I mean, like anything that we do, it's a matter of adapting your equipment and figuring out the equipment and, you know, and, and the higher the level you are. So, you know, like I'm, I'm T10, I barely have any stomach and back muscles versus you being an, an incomplete para. So you've got, you know, more, some stomach, some back, some, some, some legs, you know, I, I mean, and, and believe it or not, I, I rely on that. You know, I use that leg a lot, especially for those kind of sports. Like I can pull on my, you know, I can pull myself, pull myself back up. And, you know, I mean, like, I mean, it's, it's actually posed a little bit of, of an encumbrance in, in monoskiing because I tend to push on my footrest and then it kind of jockeys my hips sideways. But that's just me, you know, complaining. You know, that's just me whining. I'm, you're not going to get any sympathy here. I don't know <laughs> I, if, I, I know. I, if I that's what you're looking for. <laughs> but right. it's not But it's it, it's not happening. Uh, but, right. but no, but that's, that's the cool part. And it seems like from the beginning, you've been adapting and trying to figure out how to get into sports. What would you say to somebody, somebody who's new and you probably have had these conversations as well. Once there's some equipment out there, but what would you say to somebody who, who wants to do something different? Like what, what would be the advice? Just, uh, you know, I mean, uh, you know, go after it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like buy a TIG welder and a CAD program and, uh, and, and go to town. <laughs> 
Um, you know, I mean, I, 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 I welcome all, I welcome all and everyone to the community and, you know, and there are budding guys that, you know, reach out to me from time to time, like, you know, and, and, and I'm more than gracious to give any bit of help what's whatsoever that I can. Um, and you know, whoever it is, you know, I mean, you know, I, I've been at it for a long time and, you know, a lot of times, um, it's, um, it's finding the resources to be able to, you know, accomplish what you want to accomplish, whether, whether it be, you know, nuts or bolts or bearings or, or metal or materials or, you know, just knowing where to go for it, you know, so people have reached out and asked me and, and I'm always gracious, you know, and I, you know, I'm, 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 I'm more than happy to, to help in any way that I can. Well, and there were a lot of people who preceded you. I mean, you were lucky enough to be yeah, able right. to jump into a mono ski, jump into an off-road hand cycle and and maybe maybe it wasn't exactly what you were looking for but it was something that you didn't have to create it from from zero and that's that's often the hardest part is creating something from zero are you how how big is your company are you your company or i'm i'm one man show i I, you know i'm uh shipping and receiving and invoicing and welding and fabricating and powder coating and 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 grinding and sanding and, and bolting. And uh, I, I'm just all by myself, um, sure. you know, which, you know, it, it can be overwhelming sometimes, especially like, you know, come like October. No, no one's calling me in June or July for sit skis, which I wish they would because they'd get a better deal. Um, and, and, and then I'd have a little bit of time to get, but they, they want it. They want it yesterday in November. Um, you know, so sometimes I get, I get backed up and, and you know, it, it weighs on me physically and mentally, um, you know, not, not being able to just, and, and it's not a product that I can just have already built sitting on the shelf and just throw, it, it would be an in-service to the customer if I did do that, because then they wouldn't be getting something, you know, partially custom, you know what I mean? Like, you know, yes, I mean, my frames are, you know, they're all relatively similar, but I do, you know, build every single one with the person in mind, you know, their height, weight you know, color choice, seat size, you know what I mean? So, um, so sometimes I get backed up and I get a little overwhelmed and stressed out, um, you know, but you know, it's just, you know, I, I would hope that people can understand that, that I am a one man show and, um, and some, you know, sometimes there's just not enough time in the day. And you're farming out some of these parts though, you said right now. Oh, oh yeah. I, I, I farm out my, my CNC work, you know, the anodizing and the CNC, um, but I do all my own welding, powder coating, you know, the fab work, you know, the cutting of the stuff that I weld. Um, so the, the stuff that I form out, you know, and I get the seats, you know, I have a supplier for the seats. I don't, I don't make those anymore, um, but I still have to like shape them and craft them. I mean, there's still some time involved with, you know, I mean, I just get them raw. It's just a raw shape, um, you know, so, you know, and then it's just, it, everything takes a lot longer than, than even me that has done it for as much time as I have it still takes longer than I ever estimate. You know, you're like, oh, that'll take 20 minutes. No, it, yeah. <laughs> it takes it never out. takes. Are, are mono skis, do you sell the most mono skis? Is that your biggest market? Yeah, oh yeah, oh, by far, yep, yeah. I mean, um, you know, the other stuff, the bike is just taking off. I, I've only sold, I only did a run of three initially. I sold one, I have one for myself, I have another one on the shelf. Um, the skate, you know, I've sold a couple. Um, you know, I might get into doing some, uh, some wheelchairs coming up here shortly. I did just do, um, an all-terrain access chair. I'm not calling it a wheelchair. It's an all-terrain access chair. Um, it's not 
necessarily intended for everyday use. And, uh, you know, it's not, I'm not suggesting that it's a wheelchair. It's an all-terrain access chair with wheels on it. Well, this has some serious <laughs> intrigue now. Is, it, is there some place, like some secret place on your website that we can go, that we can go to see this chair that's not a wheelchair? It's, that's a, it's not on my website. Is it on my, it is on my Facebook. It's called The Attack. Um, you know, it's kind of, it kind of did things differently. It's, uh, it's basically a welder's design. It uses composite, parallel composite frame rails. Um, you know, it cuts down on the, um, the hands-on workload. Um, you know, I mean, it's kind of it's kind of more of a bolt together wheelchair than it is like a custom. Wheel. But there's a lot of adjustments, so you can customize it for yourself. You know, height, width. It's got a ton of adjustment in it. Um, you know, that way people can pull it out of the box and they say. And I know, you know, people with wheelchairs like you know, you, you fill out the form. I mean, I I've only ever bought one wheelchair in my life. You know, the 27 years I've been paralyzed, I've always built my own. Um, but I know, you know. I'll even draw it and I'll, and I'll make a new one. And I, and I think all the numbers were identical. And then when I sit in it, I'm like, well, this feels a little different and that feels a little different. Little numbers make a big difference. Um, and even though you think that you got it all as exactly as it was the last time, there, there's always little tweaks. Whereas this attack, it's got enough of adjustment that if you get in it and you say, well, I wish it was like this, it has the ability to be that. Um, you know, and that's kind of the way that I, the mantra that I've taken with my sit skis is there's so much adjustment in it. You, it's like, well, do I, I wish I, I could just have my feet up a little bit. Well, you can. Or I wish I had my feet on a different angle. You can. I wish my seat was a little, you know, further up or down or in or out. You know, and, and figuring out how to have that adjustment, but also have it be bulletproof, not have the adjustment be a, a weak link. Right. Um, it, it's part of the, you know, the, where the engineering lies, you know. You know. Um, I think a lot, a lot of times people throw in some adjustment and it's maybe, you know, an afterthought um, or, or it wasn't really integrated into the actual overall design. Um, and then, and then it becomes a weak link. And your, so your stuff, your mono ski, does it have all the adjustment that everybody else's does? It, it has by far more. Um, it has my, more. My, late, my, my latest mono skis. Yes. By, by far hands down. No, but the one that no. you're skiing in. Um, yeah. Yeah. One. Yeah. No, the original one. No. No, no, no. The one that you personally ski in, like right now, personally, it has yeah. as much adjustment. Well, as I, a, I don't own one. You don't own one. <laughs> I, I don't know. I can't afford one. <laughs> no. How um, many? You know, how many of these things do you sell in a year? How many monos? Uh, you know, I, I, it depends. Uh, you know, I do. I do. Typically, I do runs at twenty. To, you know, for for a season, twenty, twenty-five, thirty. You know, when me and Chris were kind of in business, um, you know, enabling technologies, we would do runs of more, but, it, you know, we, we realized that it, would, it took a little bit, it was a bit too much inventory sitting on the shelf, um, collecting dust. So, yeah, I do runs at 20. Okay. Yeah. Do you have, when you started this whole thing and, and when you're going now, do you have, do you have any, any sort of heroes that you're following in terms of, you know, people who've done the design work, people who've done the athlete stuff? Uh, do you pattern yourself after anybody or is, or is it something you're making up as you're going along? I, I make it up as I go along. I mean, you know, um, you know, th there, there are a few of us that have, uh, have paved the way, you know, I mean, you know, you know, I, I, I always appreciated what, you know, you and Johnny D you know, and Martinson and uh, Bonas and, and, and Sarah and Candace and, you know, the, you know, the, 
you know, Wellesley, you know, the, you know, the, the, the big names, the, the guys that, you know, that, that, that I've been able to stand on the shoulders of to see further, um, you know, so, um, you know, I, I've always, I've always admired, you know, all the, all the, all the guys that have pushed the boundaries prior to me, prior to me coming along. But not not even across industry or anything like looking at the mountain biking industry. Oh yeah, industry I mean you know or... some some of the other guys, you know some of the you know Tony Hawk and and, and uh, Matt Hoffman, you know got guys that have changed the face of their respective sport, you know that have been Laird Hamilton, you know pioneers, thinking a little bit outside the box, maybe maybe not just being better at at the sport that that they've been doing, but thinking a little bit more outside the box and you know and, and being innovators. And, and developers of, of new and progressive equipment. Um, you know, you know, like recently, I, you know, I just bought an able-bodied downhill mountain bike that I'm going to convert into a bucket bike. Um, cause I think that that might be one of my next endeavors and, um, and I'm coming after Doug, um, you know, so, uh, I, I, I'm tired of watching him win. And, uh, and I mean, I'm sure I'll probably get, you know, I don't know what have my ass cleaned up <laughs> by Doug Henry. Um, but, but I'm going to give it my best go. But yeah. it's, it, I mean, that's an interesting thing. I talked to a buddy of mine out in Vancouver, a guy I raced wheelchairs with, Kelly Smith, who, who is riding a regular, he's a, 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 um, an incomplete para. So he has some quad. And, and he got back on a mountain bike and was doing downhill mountain bike, but also he's doing cross-country mountain biking as well now. So he's got, he's got an e-assist on it, and he can pedal, he can pedal a bit he said he can pedal across the flats to a certain extent but anytime it starts tipping up he can't he can't keep up with it but it also he said it's it's exhausting even with the e-assist because it'll tend to to like plow it'll it'll go it'll go straight it'll pop a wheelie when he wants to when he wants to turn it and so you've got to control all of these things and be thinking you know 10 steps ahead of where you are, because then you also don't have the ability to to change that quickly. But then you don't have the ability to jump off of the bike. You're, you're right. You're right. As well. So you're you're committed. I mean, you are committed when you're in this thing, and and but that's the cool stuff, you know. I think that like when we were skiing, in a lot of ways, I felt like I knew what was happening. Like I knew everybody like, like within a range, so, you know, one of us might do something that was a little bit crazy or something like that, but we kind of knew who it was. And now I look on social media and I see some of this stuff and I go, Whoa, like that's something I hadn't even conceived of. Have you, have you had any of that, any of those moments in skiing where you've looked at some of the mono skiers and gone, that's blown my mind. Yeah. The, uh, the stuff that Jay's doing, Jay Ra. Um, he's, uh, he's, he's, he's taking it to the next level. Um, you know, the, the hucking big and the skiing deep pow, you know, I, you know, I feel as though I, I have been doing that at school for, for a long time. Um, you know, that, that stuff doesn't necessarily, you know, impress me as much as, as what Jay's doing. Jay, Jay's, uh, Jay's definitely progressing, progressing it in the park and the, um, the you know, the off, act, the, the off access the stuff. Yeah. Without a doubt. Yep. Yeah. He's writing his KBG homage to, uh, <laughs> to, uh, to impressive stuff out there, out there in, in, in Lake Tahoe. Yep. That's impressive. I saw, I saw one for him and it, a, a video of his and literally, you know, just went in and did sort of the off access, like, yep. like helicopter yeah. kind of thing. And then went and did a flip off the next one. Yeah. And it, 
Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's uh, that. That's some commitment, and and it was uh, it was off the big booters. It wasn't off of the kitty jumps. There's just not enough time in the air to be able to pull those kind of rotations off the kitty jumps. So um, yeah, that that's uh, that's some impressive stuff. Well, it looked it looked simple, and I think that that's the well. He makes compliment. it look he makes it look easy. That's the beauty of someone that's has that kind of talent is is they can make it look easy. Well, there's a lot of there's a lot of work that goes into making it look simple. It like it looks simple, and it looks like yeah, everybody should do that. That doesn't look You're all right. that hard. Oh, yeah, you just throw yourself off and do a little flipsy spinny thing, and yeah, right. You know, there's I, I know you know as the guy that builds the Sitsky Forum, I know that there's been some uh, incidences that um, you know that necessarily you know not everybody has seen. Um, so um, you know, it's it's definitely not as easy as it looks. No, and obviously these guys are starting in a foam pit. I'm assuming that Jay is as well, right? I I, I don't I don't believe so. Really? Okay. Yeah, no, I, I think he I think he just sort of throwing himself off the off the park jumps. I mean, from from what I believe. Okay, interesting. Because we would talk, you know, and he'd be like, you know, well, you know, I'm, I'm almost there. The rotation, and none of it was ever a mention of a foam pit. It was always out on the hill at Squall or you know Boreal wherever. Um, it was always, you know, on, on snow, committing to it on snow. It was a, never did he mention the foam pit to me. Because almost there is really bad. Oh yeah. When you're, yeah. when you're talking about a full 360 oh, yeah. rotation or when you're yeah. talking about trying to do a flip, like I almost got it. Like if you're landing in the water, if this is off the diving board, okay. Almost there is fine. If you're doing it in a mono ski, that just, I mean, it, it's what you're talking about. The concussions, the head injuries, the, the shoulders, the everything. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I, I have two, you know, serious shoulder injuries right now, as I speak, um, you know, one's completely blown out. The other one's, you know, partial tear. Um, it's shoulders are what concern me the most. I did have my shoulder um, repaired two or three years ago and it was, it was, potentially two of the worst months of my life. I mean, I, I was stuck in a recliner. I mean, I, I couldn't get up to use the bathroom. I, you know, I had to have somebody feed me and, and, you know, I, I got a 20 foot garden hose that I, I hooked up to my shower. I go out on my deck and shower. I couldn't get in my shower. I mean, it was a, it was a difficult two months. I mean, you know, for an able-bodied person that has a shoulder surgery, sure. You, you, you strap it down and you stand up and you walk here and you walk there and, and you, you know, you can, you can get kind of get on with your life. But for us, a shoulder injury is, is, you know, catastrophic. Um, so it's the shoulders that worry me the most now, especially like, you know, that's what I would always say to Jay, like, you know, like, you'd be like, Oh, you know, why don't you come into school? We'll, you know, we'll do this. I was like, God, I, I'm almost 50, man. <laughs> you know, my, my shoulders are, all, my shoulders have seen enough abuse, you know, I'll, I'll go ski the big lines and, and I'll, and I'll huck in the pal. Um, but the spinning and the twisting on the, off the park tables, I, I think I'm over it. I think that sounds like a good idea. Well, yeah. Thanks a ton for joining us, Kevin. This has been really interesting to see, you know, the, the competition, the X Games, the building of equipment and continuing. Because the thing is, when you're building this equipment, what you're doing also is you're giving somebody else that opportunity to go into the park and go do some of these things that continue to push the sport forward. And that that's the that's the multiplier in a lot of ways. That's the the legacy that you can leave. So I think that's one of the one of the more rewarding aspects of it all is to um you know, to hear people come back to me and say, you know, whether it be a mother or a father or, or the, the athlete themselves, you know, how I pulled a smile out of their face and changed their life. And, and, and they never, they didn't, they never realized that they were going to be able to enjoy um, as much as they've been able to. Um, 
because I because I provided them with the with the with the product to be able to go out and access you know what they what they want to do. Yeah, figure out what they want to do. I think that seems like a that seems like a great way to encapsulate this whole thing is figure out how you can do what you want to do and then just systematically set set about it and uh you know and uh you know don't get discouraged you know just uh keep pushing exactly well thank you for joining us thank Thank you thank you chris thanks for having me and um and let's keep in touch exactly we'll keep in touch and for the audience you guys can check this out it's streaming live now it'll be on the one revolution page it will also be on youtube so you can check it out on the One Revolution channel on YouTube. So please do it, tell, tell your friends. And if any of the schools are interested in a name tags presentation, please reach out to us and we will do our best under the, under the restraint that we have going on right now to reach your kids and, and hopefully, hopefully continue, as Kevin said, to find a way to give people an opportunity to stand on, on the shoulders of those who went before to uh, go do something way more. So thank you all for joining. Thanks, Kevin. Stay safe and uh, keep building some great stuff. Take care.